0: any more people to pass out these post notes yeah we may need so some, some help they're coming all right they're coming they're coming around all right uh but be- before we do that do we need to dismiss did you oh, do- oh yeah, yeah, i yeah, did you not didn't- dismiss
1: come on sorry tigers and gorillas where are you <laughs> wow that's like the best that time is ever impressive
0: heard. very good i think they're gonna have a all right the post-it notes are coming around everybody needs right. a post-it note all right, so Easter is coming, it's on uh, April 1st, and that's not a joke, uh, and so Easter is coming April 1st, and we have uh, two services, one at 9 o'clock and one at 11 o'clock, uh, and here's something incredibly interesting. Uh, so Barna Research, who does a ton of like church-related research, uh, they, they found this, that the they, they polled all of these uh, people who didn't go to church on Easter. So ton- thousands of people who didn't go to church on Easter. And they asked one simple question. What is the main reason why you didn't go to church on Easter? The overwhelming answer was no one invited me. No one I know talked to me about it. I didn't know where to go because no one actually invited me to go. And so, and, which is crazy. And then they said this: ninety percent of those people that said that no one invited me said that they would have gone if somebody would have simply invited me to go. And so, we believe that Easter is—it's a, a huge day here at the Church of Kane Bay. And uh, we're, we're going to very simply, under you know, explain the gospel. Uh, we're going to have some great music, obviously great, uh, a great children's ministry. Everything's going to be a really great on Easter Sunday with the two services. And so, we want. A lot of folks to be here to hear the message of the gospel to give an opportunity to respond to that gospel. That's why we exist as a church. But here we need you guys to be thinking through this with us. So uh, we're going to take these post-it notes, and you've been given maybe one or two. Uh, and, uh, and and here's what I want you to do right now: grab a pen. It's in front of you in the seat in front of you. Go ahead and grab a pen. We're gonna all do this together. I want you to think through one person in your life, just one. I want you to think through one person in your life that does not have a relationship with Jesus, or they don't go to church anywhere else, okay? They don't go to church anywhere else. If they go to church somewhere else and you ask them, then great. You say, hey, happy Easter. Have a great time at church. But if they don't go to church, then I want you to write their name down on this post-it note, okay? Go ahead and go ahead and do that. First name only? First name, <laughs> yeah, first name, maybe, maybe last initial, something like that, okay? You don't have to put their full name, okay? Uh, cause I'm, we're about to make this a little bit public and that would be weird if they walked in here next <laughs> week in there. Uh, so anyway, uh, so, uh, so their first name, I want you to write it down on the post-it note and you, you actually, you're going to have some time to do this. And then at the end of the service, once will is done somewhere around one, two o'clock, uh, yeah. just kidding. Uh, so, um, at the end of the service, what we're going to do, and I'll get up here and remind you, we're going to, on our map back in the back of the w- uh, w- uh, the wall back there, you see our map back there. It says every man, woman and child. We're going to stick all of these sticky notes all over that map because uh, that represents our, our mission as a church. That we believe that every man, woman, and child needs to have multiple opportunities to hear, see, and respond to the gospel. And so this, these cards or these, these post-it notes represent every man, woman, and child to us. And so we're going to write these names down. We're going to stick them up on the wall. We already got a few up there. Way to go, Dano. Uh, and so we already got a few up there, and this—I want that whole wall covered with sticky notes and names. And here's the deal: we're going to keep you, and it's, it's going to keep you accountable to making sure that we're inviting you uh, to come on Easter Sunday. So should be a good time. All right. Thank you. You ready? Yeah, okay. I am.
1: Hey, so as as Pastor Charlie goes down, let me just tell you this. So I just got a text from Pastor Jonathan, who is the pastor of Azul Church in Puerto Rico, and he said, um, "I just found this out that." The team that was there this past week, they fin- they did it on Thursday night. They did an event in a local school, kind of a comedy night, to kind of invite everybody that they have been working with all week long in the community. They had over 500 people come to the school for the event, and 30 of those people said that they wanted to know more about what it means to follow Jesus. So that's a pretty cool thing to have happened this past week. So, yeah. That's, that's what we're going to get to be a part of in Puerto Rico. So if you've got your Bible, um, go ahead and grab it or your phone or your tablet. It's also going to be on the screen, but I want you to follow along with us. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 9. So we're going to be in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. We're going to be looking at the second Gospel this morning, the Gospel of Mark. Um, and most of you probably know this but the four gospels it's it's really cool that god saw fit to give us four stories of jesus's life that's what the gospels are they're just jesus's life and ministry and what was happening around that so matthew mark luke and john are four stories about jesus's life or four explanations of it it's like four different guys going to a football game and they all tell The story from their perspective. And so God gave us four of those. It's really cool. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about Jesus, as if there was anything better to talk about than that. We're going to be talking about Jesus as we head toward Easter. And that's why we're calling this series More Than You Think. Because I believe that Jesus sometimes, everybody around the world, whether you're in Puerto Rico or Kenya or anywhere, many people know who Jesus is and many of them will regard Him as a prophet or a teacher or even a good man, but very few people really understand that Jesus really is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the promised Messiah, and the only hope for life forever with God. And so this morning, we're going to start this series, More Than You Think. And see, here's the deal, that even though when I was nine years old, I gave my life to Jesus as a nine-year-old with all that a nine-year-old could do, over the years, my perspective of Jesus has has broadened, has gotten bigger, and I understand more about Him now than I did as a nine-year-old. And I hope that as I continue to grow and learn and walk with Him, that I will see Him even bigger than I ever saw Him before. And over these next four weeks, my prayer today and over the next four weeks is, is that you will have a bigger perspective of Jesus as we move toward Easter. And that this Easter, <clears throat> you can say, you know what? I see Jesus in a whole new way. That He is more than I ever thought before. He's more than enough. He, he is bigger than you thought. And so that is our prayer as we walk through this series called More Than You Think. So I'm going to pray for that right now. That really our perspective of Jesus, even this morning, would begin to shift and grow. And we would see him differently even when we walk out of these doors in just a minute. So if you would, bow your heads and pray with me. God. This morning, show us who you are. Show us your son, Jesus. And many of us walked in here this morning with lots on our mind. Lots of things happening in our lives. And God, this morning, I pray you'd lift our eyes. Open our eyes. Open our ears. And let us see Jesus. Who he really is. Not who we want to invent him to be or make him out to be. But God, show us who He really is and how much we need Him. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Alright, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. Sorry, I have something in my throat. In Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2. But before I read it, so find your way there to Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Before I read it, I want to tell you this. That in chapter 8, what had just happened was Jesus told His disciples, His followers, His closest friends that he was going to suffer and die. Now, that's a big deal. Now you and I know, looking backward, that that's what happened to Jesus. But when he told his friends that, they had always pictured, you got to think think through their minds for a second, they had always pictured the Messiah, the promised Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament, the Savior of the world, they had always pictured Him as being somebody who was going to come and rule and reign powerfully. Somebody who was going to free them from Roman oppression and make everything right and set up a kingdom. Now, Jesus did all of those things in a bigger way than they thought but they thought it was going to be tangible, that they were going to see it right then. And suffering and dying for the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, to suffer and die was not the picture they had of who Jesus was supposed to be. It's just not. I mean, they'd been listening to Him. They'd been following him, They'd been eating with Him. They'd been hanging out with Him. But, but they had an expectation for what He was supposed to be that Jesus was going to totally turn on its head. Maybe the same thing is for you. So Jesus needed to give them a new picture of who He really was. Who the Messiah, the Savior of the world, really was supposed to be. Sometimes I think we have the wrong idea of who Jesus really is too. And that's why we're doing this series. I don't know what your view is of Jesus. But I hope you see Him with new eyes today. Look at verse 2. It says this. After six days, Jesus took with Him Peter Peter and James, and John, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Now, stop for just a minute, let me give you a little context about that. Maybe you already know who Peter, James, and John are, they're just three of the twelve disciples, but they're actually Jesus' closest friends. They're the guys that are closest to Jesus. This is Jesus' huddle, if we were to talk about it in Cane Bay language, right? If you're in a huddle, you know This is Jesus' closest guys. These are the guys He tells everything to. These are the guys who know everything about each other. They hang out together. They pray together. They encourage each other. They call each other out. That's who these guys are. And they go on a camping trip. You're supposed to laugh a little bit more than that. But but they do. They go up on a high mountain by themselves. By themselves. And look at at the next verse, verse 3. And He was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. All right, this camping trip just got a little weird. All right, all of a sudden, these guys are hanging out. They had just done s'mores. They had just, the mountain is awesome. Like, it's the right temperature. They'd set up their tent. And um, and all of a sudden, they turn around, and Jesus is glowing like he's on fire. And they were like, you got too close to the camper. Um... I'm going to make you guys laugh somehow. So all of a sudden Jesus is glowing white. His clothes are so radiantly white, more than bleach could even bleach clothes. It says like this is this is Mark trying to explain something that's like unexplainable, right? They got a glimpse all of a sudden of Jesus in a whole new way. Jesus the guy, the buddy, the teacher, the rabbi, our friend, like they knew in their minds that he was sent from God, that he was the son of God, he called himself the son of man, but he's also just a guy, one of us, right, and all of a sudden they see something about him that lifts their perspective. Their eyes and their ears are open to the truth that Jesus is not just your friend, he's something much greater than that. For a few minutes they got a little bit of a divine perspective. You've heard this saying before that sometimes you can't see the forest because of the trees. Sometimes you're so close to something that you can't see it. And these guys were close to Jesus. They had been hanging out with him, but they needed a new picture. Sometimes your perspective has to shift. Sometimes you have to look at it in a different way. For instance, have you seen these forced perspective pictures like on the internet? If you just Google forced perspective and you'll see like like, it's really cool that you could sit there for hours and, and do this. I did not. I did. But um, but look at this. So you've all seen, like, the, the street paintings. So that's a real street painting, right? I mean, you can sit there and look at it and go, for real? Like, somebody painted that? That's crazy. And you could just, like, see you're doing it right now. You could just sit there and look and go, is that even real? Somebody doctored that. Like, that's a real street and somebody really painted that. All right, so, so let me give you another one. Take a look at this. What do you see? It's just a wooden platform on the sand, and there's a shadow of a flag beside it, right? But all of a sudden, you see like a magic carpet that that person is floating on. Yeah, you have to look at it a different way. All right, take a look at this. Who is holding who here? It wasn't who you first thought, was it? Take a look. It's the girl in the middle. She's the one being held. Isn't that kind of weird how your mind like messes with you a little bit? Or so take a look at this guy falling off of this ledge. That looks bad, doesn't it? All you got to do is switch the picture to this. He's just jumping up and the other guy's laying down. You see, it, it always matters how you see something, right? Our minds play tricks on us. Like, sometimes our perspective has to be lifted. And right now, listen, that's what's happening to Peter, James, and John. Jesus had just told them, I'm going to have to suffer and die. You didn't plan on that. You didn't think that was going to happen. But that's how I'm going to save the world. And it may make no sense to you right now, but I'm lifting your eyes. I'm giving you a different perspective of who I am and what I came to do. All of a sudden, on this mountaintop, these three guys get a bigger perspective of a, of a few things. One, they get a bigger perspective of Jesus, right? They see Jesus for who He really is, that this really is God in the flesh. Like He's glowing on fire. There's something bigger and better and more powerful that you can really trust what this guy says. But look, they, they get a bigger picture of God's power too. Listen. Jesus is about to suffer and die, and that's what he said. But then he's going to rise from the grave. He's going to come back to life. See, God can change anything. And all of a sudden on this mountaintop, they're seeing that God can change a man who's a normal man into something glowing, radiant, angel-looking. God can transform anything. Whatever he touches, he changes. And if God can change him right there in front of them, then God can change them too, and God can change the whole world. God can change you. And they needed to know that, that God's power is great. They get a bigger picture of their future, too. Think about this for just a second. If you trust in Jesus, the Bible says that one day you will be raised to new life, you will get new transformed bodies that cannot be stained with sin, shame, or suffering, and you will live eternally with a glorified body in the presence of Jesus. And all of a sudden they're seeing Jesus in this glorification kind of state for a second. I don't even know what to call it, but they're seeing seeing a picture of the future. That you have hope in Him. See, in our world, our viewpoint of us, of God, of Jesus, of the people around us is often limited. But sometimes God gives us brief glimpses of Himself, His glory, His power, His presence to remind us that there's more than you see. Because He is greater, He is in control, He can be trusted, and sometimes you have to look at it from a different perspective to see it. In fact, when you look at the world around you, listen, God is not out of control. God sometimes in the midst of the chaos and mystery of life, gives us brief glimpses of Himself. But here's what you need to know, that the Bible says this, that right now we see from a limited perspective. We don't see things clearly. In fact, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says this. He says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. In other words, Paul is saying this. Now it's hard to see. His ways are higher than our ways. Like It is hard to see things clearly now. One day we're going to see clearly. One day we're going to see Him face to face. We'll be fully known and fully known. But sometimes, just like this moment with Peter, James, and John, God gives us a brief glimpse of who He is. And so I read the story of the transfiguration of Jesus on this mountain, and I think, well, how can I have this moment? I want one of these moments. I want to be like Peter, James, and John, and I want to be that close to Jesus. I want to see who He really is. I want my perspective to be lifted up. And and so I say, how can we have these moments? Well, I'm not really sure. Like, that's up to Jesus, and, and really in the Scripture, it only seems to happen one time like this for these guys. But I want you to notice a few things They're in a position to see Jesus differently because of a few things. One, they're close to Jesus. Okay, are are you with me? They're close to Jesus. You're not going to see Jesus clearly or even have the opportunity to, to see Him rightly unless you're close to Him. These guys were close to Jesus. They spent time with Him. I'm just saying that to say this. If you're not walking closely with Jesus spending time talking with Him daily, you will not have the opportunity to see Him, hear Him, and experience Him like you need to. Stay close to Jesus if you want to see Him for who He really is. The second thing is this. Did you notice it says that Jesus took them up on a mountain alone, like by themselves? Did you know that Jesus often did that? In the midst of the chaos, I mean, there were times when they were ready to make him the king right then. He had fed 5,000 people and they were like, come on, Jesus, they're ready. You can be the emperor. You can be anybody you want to be. You're popular. And he slips away quietly and goes to pray. Jesus does it over and over again. He goes to be alone. Listen, if you and I don't do what these guys did, if you don't pull away from the noise, the busyness, and the chaos of life and sit on a mountain by yourself sometimes, or in a closet by yourself, or by the ocean, or on your back porch, somewhere, and you get alone with Jesus, and things are quiet, all of a sudden you can hear the birds chirping, right? All of a sudden, you can see the stars. You see things you didn't see before. But listen, if you're not regularly turning off your phone, pulling away from the noise, and intentionally planning time with God, you will not hear from Him, see Him, and have your perspective lifted. Stay close to Jesus. Tune out the noise of life if you want a different perspective. Look at verse 4. And there appeared to them, now they're still on the mountain, Jesus is still glowing, right? And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, it just got even weirder. Notice that they're seeing Jesus glowing, and all of a sudden they see two other guys, Moses and Elijah. Now Moses represented the law, right? He's one of the greatest figures in the Old Testament. He had long since been dead, just so you know. Elijah. Now that one's even crazier. Elijah represented the prophets. He was, he's a major player in the Old Testament. He was one of the greatest prophets ever. Elijah was like, his, it's strange because he, he like just disappeared. He's like transferred. They don't even know what happened to him exactly. I mean, you read the story, it's a little bit odd. But the, the whole thing is Moses and Elijah are standing there with Jesus. Now, it's interestingly enough, is this future or is this past, right? Is this like a picture of heaven? What's yet to come? Or is this like the past? I don't know. Because all of a sudden, it's like the past, the present. They're really on a mountain. Jesus is really there with them. He really is alive. But now they're seeing these people from the past. And they're seeing them in this glorified kind of state like the future. All of a sudden, the past, the present, and future are kind of merged for a moment in time. Time is not a factor. It's not a limitation. You see, this is so hard for us in this perspective. Because... We're so limited by time, limited by our perspective now, but God is not as enslaved by time, right? It says the day is like a thousand years to the Lord. Did you know if you look in the Old Testament, God allowed Abraham to wait 25 years before he fulfilled the promise of a son? If you go back and read that story, that's a long time to wait on God to do something that he promised. Did you know when he told Noah to build a boat because there's going to be a great flood, do you know how many years it was before the floods came? A hundred and twenty. Joseph waited 13 years after being sold into slavery and being in Egypt. He waited 13 years accru- accused of a crime he didn't commit. It says the Lord was with him, but 13 years he languished before God ever put him in a position where he could actually do something. The world waited thousands of years for a Messiah, and now we're waiting thousands of years for Him to return. Why does God wait and delay sometimes? Maybe it's just our perspective. I know this might sound crazy, but what if it's not really even a delay? Because time is not a factor for Him. He's not enslaved to it. we are. What if, what if what seems like a time delay is simply preparation for you to have the patience, the faith, the trust... The hope, the character to see it differently. All I'm saying is this. Don't miss what God is doing in you right now while you wait on Him because God is in the midst of the waiting and He's doing something. Now, look, look real quick. So that's just an aside, but look real quick at the story. So it's significant that Moses and Elijah are, are talking to Jesus because I already told you that Moses represented the law, right? And we're going to get a little historical. Are you with me? All right. Are you with me? Sure. One person is. Um, Moses represented the law. Say that. Moses represented the... Elijah represented the prophets. Yes. Okay, you need to know that. These are the most famous people in the Old Testament that served as representatives of God. And now Jesus is standing there with them. And look at what verse 5 says. And Peter said to Jesus... Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Now one thing you need to know about Peter is this. He often doesn't know what to say, but he says stuff anyway. He's a lot like me. Um, He speaks sometimes before he thinks. He's like, I have to say something right here. Like, this is really cool. These are the biggest people of our faith. Here's Jesus. Here's Moses. Here's Elijah. Here's Elijah. Let's just stay here, and let's build a house for each one of them. You know, I've found in my life that the moments when God really shows up, the moments when you can just see God's hand at work, the moments when you just sense Him greater, there you probably had moments like that. Like, we love mountaintop moments where God shows us Himself where God shows up and does something and we see Him clearly or we're refreshed or we're renewed or we have new passion for what God's doing. See, but I'm learning this and Peter feels this at this moment. Like, this is great, this is amazing, let's just stay. Who cares about going back to life as we knew it? You see, mountaintop moments provide great views where, where you can see the best. But valleys, listen, they're about to leave the mountaintop. Jesus is about to say, Peter, we can't stay here. Because mountaintops are amazing. But valleys provide great soil where people grow the best. You see, there's not great soil on mountaintops. That's why people didn't really think it was great real estate for many, many years, right? Because you couldn't even grow anything there. But now we sit on mountaintops and we go, this is beautiful, and it is beautiful, but you grow the best in the valley. You see the best on the mountains, but you grow the best in the valley at verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now that's a big deal. Don't miss that. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Notice that Moses and Elijah are not there anymore. Remember, Moses represented the law. The law of God. Elijah represented the prophets. Now both of those things are the word of God, right? It's described, the law was described as the word, the commands of God. The prophets spoke the word of God. They were the ones who always said "said that God is saying, or this is what the Lord says. For them to be gone now, listen, for them to be gone and Jesus to be alone there is symbolically saying that Jesus has fulfilled all of the law. Jesus has fulfilled all of the prophets. Jesus came not to abolish the law, but what? To fulfill it, right? In other words, we couldn't keep the law, but Jesus did, right? He lived a perfect, sinless life. And the Bible indicates that Jesus is the final prophet. Jesus is the greatest prophet. You see, the prophets, I just told you, the prophets throughout the Old Testament, if you read them, They're speaking the word of God. They constantly say, this is what the Lord says. In fact, in the Old Testament, if you read the prophets, the major and minor prophets, it usually always starts off with this word. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, or Jeremiah, or Ezekiel, or Hosea, or Micah, or Jonah, or Zephaniah, or the other prophets." So when Jesus was born, John describes Jesus like this. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. Now the Word of God was the law. The Word of God was what the prophets were speaking. But Jesus shows up and John says, This is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then if you skip down to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. All of a sudden, Jesus is standing there, and Moses and Elijah disappear, because now all you need is Jesus. You can't keep the law, but Jesus did. You won't listen to the prophets. You'll rebel again when they speak the word of the Lord. You cannot rescue and restore your relationship with God like the prophets were calling us to, but Jesus did it. And now you can trust Him because He is the only way you can be made right with God forever. In the midst of of the terrifying, mysterious chaos of life, the voice of God stops on that mountain and says, just listen to my son. Just look at him. Just sit at his feet. Just follow him. And he is all you need. Verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen. Isn't this interesting? Jesus said, don't talk about this until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now that tells us a little bit why. I'm going to tell you more about that in just a second. So they kept the matter to themselves. Like They're like, well, we shouldn't talk about it. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Now why did Jesus say, don't talk about this? You see, anybody can claim to be the Messiah. In fact, even in Jesus' time, there were people who falsely claimed to be the Messiah. Anybody can claim to forgive people's sin, to show you the way, to make you okay. Many people can do magical and seemingly miraculous things like Jesus did, but nobody can actually rise from the dead. Jesus knew that His resurrection would prove His claim, so He said, you know what, guys? Let's don't talk about what you see in me, who you see I am, until I rise from the dead so that that will prove what you just saw. Now, we live on the other side of the resurrection, right? You can talk about it all you want. Because the resurrection has already happened. Now, I love how it says that they were talking among themselves, saying, Well, what does this mean, rise from the dead? They still don't completely understand the mystery of what Jesus is about to do, do they? They've heard Him say He's going to suffer and die. Now they hear Him say He's going to rise from the dead. They're going, either He's crazy or... I mean, they they don't really get it yet. Sometimes neither do we. Verse 11 says this, and they asked Him... Now, this gets really deep in history here for just a second, so hang on, look at this closely. It says, and they asked Him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things, and how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, all right, I know you're getting confused right now, but Jesus says, but I tell you, Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Now, all right, let me explain this real quick. Jesus, his disciples were saying, okay, Jesus, here's the deal. We believe you're the Messiah. Like what you just did up there. Like, We believe you are who you say you are. You're the Messiah. It seems clear, but we've always been taught that Elijah was going to come back first to prepare the way for the Messiah. So where is Elijah? Because Malachi 4 says Elijah's going to come back. So, so where is he? Notice, Jesus says, Elijah has come. He, he showed up. And, and Jesus is actually talking about John the Baptist. Now, you have to go back and look at history to see this. But John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord. He was like a new Elijah, like he prepared the way. Well, look at what the Bible says about John the Baptist. Before he, or when he was born, Look, Luke says this. Luke 1.17. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. It's saying this about John. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Alright, enough of that. You just need to know, Jesus says, Elijah has come. But what else does Jesus say? And they did to him whatever they wanted to do. Now that's important. What happened to John the Baptist? Does anybody know? Just three chapters before this, John the Baptist was beheaded by King Herod. This is important. Jesus says, you remember? Elijah has come, and look what happened to him. And then Jesus also says this. Did you see this? Guys, you know about Elijah coming back, but did you miss the part in the Old Testament where it said the Messiah must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Did you miss that part, guys? You know the part about Elijah, but did you miss the part about me? In other words, Jesus is saying to them this. Listen, they're headed down from the mountain into the valley, and Jesus looks at His followers and He says this. Guys, get ready. Because you thought the kingdom was going to look different. You thought that this was going to be freedom from Romans, from the Rome's oppression. But get ready, because if you want to follow me, guys, we're going into the valley. And you might be beheaded. You might suffer many things. You might be treated with contempt. But get ready. Yes, we were just on the mountain. And yes, you saw something amazing. But in the valley, that's where we're headed. And in the valley, things might get a little rough. And when you go into the valley, you need to remember what you saw on the mountain. You see, I believe that the mountaintop experiences with God prepare you for the valleys, and the valleys prepare you for the mountains, but you're going to experience both. So I want to ask you this question right now this morning. Where are you in life right now? On your journey with God, in life right now, where where are you? Are you headed up the mountain? Like right now in your life, do you feel like God's showing you a new perspective of Him and it's great and you're growing and it's amazing and, and you can see clearly? If that's true, celebrate it, thank God for it, and remember it because there will be a valley ahead. But maybe this morning, let me ask you this. Maybe you're in a valley right now in life. Maybe spiritually you're thirsty, you're hungry. Maybe life is not going the way you expected it. And maybe you've been there a while. What I want to challenge you with to do is just hold on. Because God is in the waiting. He's in the middle of the valley just like He is on the mountain. In the valley, He's growing you. He's stretching you. And all I can say is what God said to them that day. Just listen to Jesus. Just sit at His feet. Just learn from him and lean on him. Because there will be another mountain. He is all we need. And God, as we prepare for Easter, as as we move toward the time when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, God, I, I pray that you would show us a new picture of Jesus. There's so many people in our lives, God, that they need to see him. They need to see him clearly. So God, I pray that we would display Jesus really is, that we would pray for our neighbors, our friends, these people we've written down on the post-it notes. God, I pray you would give us the opportunity to clearly display the gospel of Jesus to them in the coming weeks and invite them to Easter where they can see he's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a king. He's not just a teacher. But he is your son, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of love you. We need you. We thank you that you're all we need. In Jesus' name,